We have been doing a survey through the book of Romans, and uh, it's a little bit different than what we would normally do, but I hope that you've enjoyed the journey as we have worked our way through uh, the book of Romans. And on the front end, I talked about the fact that we have a tendency to make our personal preferences God's personal preferences, and since they're God's personal preferences, then I can say that they should be your personal preferences. The problem is when we actually do that, we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping ourselves, which is actually actually setting ourselves as an idol to worship, and a very convenient one at that, because then we don't really have to uh, change anything about ourselves. And, uh, and, and so, you know, we're going to come full circle today, but uh, on the front end of the book of Romans, Paul does this magnificent job of explaining the fact, this, this theological uh, standpoint of explaining the fact that we are not saved by works. We don't work our way to heaven. We don't work our way to eternal life. We don't work our way into a good relationship with God. We can't work our way there. There is a ginormous obstacle between us and God, who Jesus invites us to call heavenly father or heavenly dad or heavenly daddy. And and he wants to have a relationship with us. And so Jesus came to this earth to remove this ginormous obstacle. This ginormous obstacle was sin. It was, it's, it, it's something that uh, Jesus is going to define uh, for us. That sin is really anything that we do that hurts someone else. When we wrong someone else. Because here's the thing. When we do that, When we do that, when we wrong someone else, we're wronging someone else for whom Jesus died, for whom Jesus uh, loves deeply, for whom is an image bearer of God. And so when we hurt them, we hurt him. When we're not right with them, we're not right with him. And and he says, I want to I want our relationship to be right. I, I don't want you to just go through this religious rituals. That's, that's not what I want. I want a relationship. And so I'm, I'm going to provide a way for that to happen, and you can't work your way there. In fact, it's just a gift. All you have to do is say yes to the gift. And what unites us, Paul's going to say, what unites us to Christ is faith. Faith alone in Christ alone is what unites us to Christ. And, and this whole idea of I was in Adam, and what was true of Adam is true of me. And, and when I was in Adam, you know what? I was condemned, and, 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 I, and I thought the way the world thinks, and, and I, I was in a me-first kingdom. And, but then I was invited, when I placed my faith in Christ, I, I, I'm transferred into being in Christ, and in Christ, Jesus in me is the perfection, is the the, the standard, the, think of it this way, the, every single time there's a rift between you and someone else, it's because one or both of you didn't meet the standard that was in place for your relationship. And maybe you didn't, you know, talk beforehand, hey, just so you know, for us to stay good friends, we're, here's the standard. You know, we don't really do that. Um, but you'll know it when you didn't, Right? Because all of a sudden, there's a distance between you. You're kind of like, hey, what's going on? Fine. Eh, not fine. Not fine. Why aren't we fine? Because one of both of you didn't meet an expectation or a standard that the other one thought you should. And so you're not right. That's the way it is with this in God. 
And he's saying, I want that relationship to be made right. In Christ, the standard is perfection. And Jesus met the standard for us. And so when our heavenly dad looks at us, he sees his son in his perfection and says, you meet the standard, we are good. And Jesus just comes along and says, I'll tell you what, I'll make you the best trade you've ever you know, been offered in your entire life. I'll give you my righteousness, I'll take your sin. Deal? <laughs> Sign me up. Sign me up for that. And then we get to Romans chapter 8. And, uh, and in Romans chapter 8, we, 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 we discover who we are in Christ. All of the unbelievable, you have perfect security, perfect safety, unbelievable purpose in this life. And at the end of it all, no matter who you are, no matter what race you are, no matter what background you are, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter what skeletons you have in your closet, no matter what it is, you couldn't be loved more than you are. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And it's out of that truth that we went to chapter 12 and talked about the fact that, man, it's not, hey, preacher man, just tell me, I, you know, I want to go to heaven, but I don't really want to follow Jesus, which that's the majority of Christians kind of like, I, yeah, I like the idea of heaven, but I don't, I don't really want to follow him at work. No, 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 no. I don't really, I don't, I don't want to really follow him when I'm hanging out with the girls or hanging out with the guys, or I don't want to, really, I'll tell you, I'll follow him some of the, I, I will try Sunday mornings and Wednesday night. How's that? But the rest of the time, yeah, yeah, no. And, and Paul's just saying, look, based on the, the fact of who you are in Christ and what's been given to you, you have been, you know what, you, you and I are stewards of not only the message of eternal life, but the message of a better life. And we're stewards of that. And so, as a result of that, we need to bring the gifts that we have, he says in chapter 12, and offer them and, and serve one another. It's an other's first kingdom, not a me first kingdom. And then chapters 13, 14, and 15, where we're going to spend our time this morning and wrap up uh, our survey of the book of Romans um, there, there's something that is crucial to the church. And so if you're not a church person, not a Jesus follower, you're watching, not a Christian, so glad that you're in the room, so glad that you're watching. You can kind of laugh at us a little bit as we have an insider conversation as to how bad we are at this. Um, but there's something Paul's going to say that's going to keep us back as the church and local church, but big C church, universal church, um, from accomplishing the mission that Jesus has given us to see people meet, follow, and love him. And that is disunity. That is factions. That is trying to figure out ways that we can't get along. And, and so this is one of the things that grieves me as, as a pastor. In fact, it just, ah, oh, it, it's, uh, it's something that is to the core of me, um, something very difficult for me to deal with. That the church has become filled with self-righteous, religious, K 
cannibalistic vultures. Now, all of you who are self-righteous, go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, none of us, right? Because here's the thing. We, we don't see that in the mirror. No, no one's is like, hey, just so you know, I, hi, I'm Eric. I'm self-righteous. Just wanted to get that out there, right out there. No, right? Nobody, nobody sees, you know, self-righteousness in the mirror. And even if they did, they're not going to admit it. And, and, and so, and, and religious, like, you know, not really interested in relationship. In fact, I'm not, I'm not re- interested in relationship with this universal church, or I'm not interested in, 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 in relational things. I just kind of want to jump through the hoops to make sure that God and I are good. Cannibalistic. The church invented cancel culture. We've been doing it way longer than it was a thing, way longer than there, there was actually a term for it. We've been really good at it for a really long time. Vultures, there's a sense in which I think we actually get some enjoyment in taking a prominent leader in the church down. And, And I just, man, here's what I see happen. And... It, it, it's been uh, blowing up because of social media. Um, you just need to know that there are people who make it their full-time job that any prominent or any, you know, uh, pastor or religious leader that, that, that has any prominence whatsoever, they make it their entire life's mission to take them down. And so what happens is you click on it, there's this title that is like controversial, or there's a title like, oh, can you believe they said this? And you're like, oh, did they really say that? And so you click on the video, and they take a little snapshot taken completely out of context. In fact, you don't even know what the context is. They provide commentary on it that is taken completely out of context. Or you listen to a podcast and they do the same exact thing. They take this little clip from something that was said, take it completely out of context so you have no idea what, what exactly you know, the, the phrase was that had anything to do with what it is they were actually talking about. And then they provide the you know, podcaster or you know, person putting this video out, they provide commentary on this little clip taken completely out of context to lead you to a conclusion that actually isn't true. And at the end of it, you're like, they're out. No, let's just eat them. They're gone. Get rid of them. In fact, we'll completely discount all of the work, even if they've done a whole, I mean, Maybe they made a mistake. Maybe they actually did something. It's like, oh, that was not a great thing. But look at all of this, what they've done and what they've done in the world. And whoa. And as a result, we eat ourselves. We eat our own. And, and oh, I think it grieves our heavenly dad in deep, deep ways. So here's the verse that kind of sums up where we're headed. 
In Romans chapter 14, verse 19, Paul says, So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Now, I realize when I say the church in the United States of America and harmony, you're like, oh yeah, I put those two words, I put the church and harmony together. That's what I, first thing I think of when I think of the church, harmony, right? That's laughable. Harmony, Paul? (laughs) No, not so much. Why? Well, I can't get into all of it, but we're going to get into some of it. Paul says in Romans 13, verse 8, and he's going to back up down. We're going to kind of work our way through 13, 14, 15. He says, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to, hmm. In other words, he says, I I don't want you to owe anything to anyone. And he's not talking in monetary terms. He's like, I don't want you to owe anything to, to anyone except you do because of your position in Christ. You do have an obligation. You do owe because you've been given something that you didn't deserve. And out of that is like a sense in which I'm compelled to what? what? What do you think? Hmm. Obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Whoa, what? When Jesus reduced the entire Jewish scriptures, the entire Jewish law, all 600 and some laws, and he reduced it down to one. I want you to love others, to which they're like, that's not new. As I have loved you. Okay, that's new. That's really new. And Paul just says, if you will do that, you will fulfill all of the requirements of the law. One of the reasons we struggle is because we have the Jewish scripture and the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and we have the New Covenant and the New Testament, and we don't know how to read them both because they're so drastically different. And since we don't know how to treat them and we don't know how to read them and we don't know how to apply them, we end up mixing and matching them together. We pull from the Old Testament the things that kind of fit our New Testament theology, and we kind of just hush, hush, don't say anything about that, because if we actually did that, we would be put in jail. So let's not say anything about that. We don't really know how to do, and sometimes we grab and gravitate and pull in all of the, you know, the, the... the judgmental and, and just this fire and brimstone that we find in the Old Testament. And it's like, yeah, maybe that's, a, maybe that's what we need to do to people in the, in, in the New Testament. And we don't know quite how to handle it. And, and Paul's just going to say, look, and loving each other doesn't mean you just go along with everything. That's not necessarily love. He's like, you know, it could, it could be difficult. But I, he's like, I want you to stand firmly in truth, but I want you to stand firmly in grace, and there will be a tension. And if you ever try to resolve the tension, you lose something. But that's what we want to do. 
Some of you, you love the truth. That's just kind of where you, your world's black and white, and you, you just like, it's true. And so I just stand on the truth. And others of you, you love grace. And in fact, you know, it's like grace, grace, grace. And Jesus is standing in both. And you're like, yeah, you can't stand in both. There's like a tension. He's like, I know. I'm comfortable there. And that's what love does. There's, there, it doesn't try to resolve that tension. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. It does no wrong to others because that's Jesus' definition of sin. And so he's going to give us an example of how does this then flesh itself out. We're going to move on to Romans 14, verse 1. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Say, what? You want me... But they're wrong, Eric. And they haven't been a Christian very I know the Bible inside and out, so it's my obligation to tell them, you're all wrong about that. I, I need to be the one. Tell them. Get it. Get, well, that you, you're wrong. Paul, say what? Accept other believers who are weak in faith. They haven't been as far along as you are. And don't, 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 what? So now he's going to give us an example, and I'm afraid that by this example, you're going to think the entire message is just about this example. It's not. It's way bigger. Paul's just giving one example. It's like, this isn't the only thing I'm talking about. This is all across the board. But he's going to say, for instance... One person believes it's all right to eat anything. They must live in Nebraska. But another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. More difficult to live in Nebraska. To which he's, he's like, look, this is a personal preference. And, and here's what happens. And here's something I love about the crossing. And because of the crossing, I am not the same man I was 18 years ago. 18 years ago, I would have seen someone with colored hair, and I'm not talking like natural colors. I'm talking about like, woo! And I would have had a more difficult time talking to them. I would have discounted them. I would have assumed there's something wrong with them. And I would have taken them a couple rows down on the ladder in terms of value. And some of you do the same thing. Some of you, 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 you see someone, you know what, and you go up to the, 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 you know, you go in, in, into church and, and there's someone and, and they've got a pierced nose and ears and now they've got a pierced thing in their lip and, and you're thinking, how do you kiss somebody with that? <laughs> but then right after that, you discount them. You take them a couple rows down on the ladder 
in terms of value because they do not hold your personal preference. And since they don't, you discount them and you don't value them the way Jesus does. And therefore, you don't love them the way Jesus does. And you wonder why there's disunity. You see someone, you know, they're just, they have a different preference than you have. And so he, he just says, look, <clears throat> one person believes it's all right to eat anything. Another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. It goes both ways. For God has accepted them. What? God's accepted someone else that doesn't see the world the way you do? How could he? Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Okay, Paul, um, time out. What? Whose servants? Are these Billy Bob's servants? Well, whose servants are you talking about? Our Heavenly Father. Our, theirs and yours. Our Heavenly Father. We're in the same family. And you're discounting, you're, you're condemning a child of God. over a personal preference. They are responsible to the Lord. What are these three words? So let him. You, there's a reason we won't do this. So let him judge whether they are right or wrong. And with the Lord's help, they will do what is right and will see, receive his approval. Here's what I see all the time as a pastor. It's like, oh, no, don't, please, please. Trying to be the Holy Spirit in someone else's life is actually a profound mistrust in the God we say we trust. God, <laughs> you're not really, uh, not really getting through to him, so uh, I'll tell you what, I'll take it over from here. You don't trust God can do it. And therefore, you think you should. And I just tell you, we wonder why there's so much disharmony in the church. It's over some of the stupidest stuff. Trying to be the Holy Spirit in everyone else's life. And we see no self-righteousness in our own. To which I know you're saying, but, 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 Eric, but, but, Eric, Eric, but, 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 but. Okay, is it a hill to die on? I mean, I realize there's some differences that's kind of like, I mean, and there are. I'll go with that. But I, I really only have one hill I'm going to die on. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'll die on that hill. Everything else we might debate, everything else we might have sharp disagreements about, everything else we can have a discussion about, 
But that's the hill I'll die on. And you might have other hills you're going to die on. That's fine. But to be able to say, for me, this is the hill I'm going to die on. Now, it might be different for you. And, and if you come to a different conclusion, that's okay. Have you earned the right to be heard? Or are you just like being right? It says in verse 12, yes, each of you will give a personal account to God, not to you. So can you give them over to God and say, God, I'm going to let you do what you do best. I don't need to be the Holy Spirit in their life. And you know what? If I have a relationship with them and I'm able to come with an approach that they'll have ears to hear, and I feel like the Spirit of God saying, yeah, yeah okay. By the way, I, you know what? They're accountable to you, not to me. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. He comes back to this, this eating because in the, the, the Jewish, you just got to understand, if you were Jewish at this time, I mean, they had very, very strict dietary restrictions, okay? And so here's a church that had Gentiles that had no restrictions. They're like, they're bringing bacon to the potluck. And the Jews are like, mmm, really strict dietary. And, and Paul's like, hey, Gentiles, yeah, could, you, could you be sensitive to your Jewish brothers? So he's like, I know and am convinced, and this is coming straight from a Jew, on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. Like, Gentiles, I'm with you. But if someone believes it is wrong, then... For that person, it is wrong. To which we want to say, that's my personal preference, therefore it's God's personal preference, therefore for everybody it's wrong. And there is a whole slew of issues that aren't hills to die on, that we're dying on, and as a result, when people think of the church of the United States of America, harmony is the last word they would associate with it. We believe that if we think it's wrong for us, then it's wrong for everyone. Paul is actually teaching the exact opposite. So my question to you is, do you have room in your heart to allow someone else to come to a different conviction than you? And there's been a few things through the years that I have learned, and I have learned them basically because of someone that our culture and our Christian culture right now is really trying to cancel and I am unbelievably grateful for the things that I have learned, and this is one of them. You can choose to be right, or you can choose relationship, but you can't choose both. Think about this. Those of you with, with young children, as your children get up into their teenage years, you as a parent can just choose to be right and you can stand in your corner and be right and you know, swag your finger all day long and you can be right. 
but you aren't going to have a relationship. You're like, but Eric, I'm right. It's black and white. Mm -hmm. And Jesus could have stayed in heaven and he would have been exactly right. And he could have swagged his finger at every single one of us and said, look at you, and he would have been exactly right. And instead, you read in Philippians chapter 2, what did he decide to do instead? He set aside his divine privileges and came underneath us. Why? Because he wanted relationship. And there was only one way to make that happen. He chose relationship over just being right. He has no problem standing firmly in truth and grace. And for some reason, we do. This is hard. But if you try to resolve that, you lose something. He goes on, if another believer is distressed by what you eat, or in our case, you know, anything that we might be doing, you are not acting in love if you eat it. In other words, you're self-aware that someone else, that maybe they're coming to a group, or maybe you realize they're going to be on this camping trip, or maybe you're going on a retreat, and they're going to be there, and, and you realize they have a conviction that's different than yours. What Paul is saying is, would you be willing to set aside the freedom that you have because you see nothing wrong with this, would you set that aside to serve them because they do have a conviction about it? Here's a silly example. My dad and I had vastly different uh, flavors of musical genre. My dad loved quartet music. Now, I could withstand it but I wasn't going to listen to it all day. Like, no thank you. And he loved it. And he loved band music. Great. It was awesome. That's what he grew up in. Loved it. He could listen to the band music. In fact, he turned it up and went to sleep to it. And the rest of us listened to the rest of the record while he was sleeping. <laughs> now me, I like a little bit of heavy metal. Christian heavy metal. I mean, I like the other stuff too, but give me some Christian heavy metal stuff. It's, it's good. So when, dad, when I knew that my dad was going to come and help me do something, guess what I would do with the music? I just shut it off because there wasn't any quartet music on radio, thankfully. <laughs> so I just shut it off. But you see... If I would have just played it, he would have, he would have endured it. But what do you think that did for harmony and unity? That's what Paul's saying. It's an act of love. And if you don't, there's some people, if you don't let your eating or anything that you do, that you have a sense of freedom in and someone else doesn't, 
then don't let that ruin someone for whom Christ died. You're setting them up for failure. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the kingdom of God is not about your personal preference. It's about a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if you follow the Spirit of God in your life, that's exactly where he's going to take you. Instead, we try to be the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. Verse 19, so then, let us aim for harmony in the church. There we go. There's our verse. And try to build each other up instead of tearing one another down. Don't tear apart the work of God. What? You know what that means? You and I can tear apart the work of God. And the church is amazing at it. I think we should be part of the solution to it. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat or something that we're doing as a personal preference. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. May God help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus, which we are, then all of you can join together. One heart, one mind, one purpose in this mission to see people meet, follow, and love Jesus with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he sums it up in chapter 15, verse 7. He says, therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Crossing. I realize we are, you know, a small fish in a very large church bowl. But as far as it is up to us, could we? Could, could we? One of the reasons that the crossing has experienced so much progress in its mission to see people meet, follow, and love Jesus, the reason we have seen so many people go public with their, in, their, in their faith and place their faith in Christ is because this church has fought for unity. And it has experienced unity that I have not experienced in any other church I've ever been a part of. But that doesn't come easily. It's something all of us have to strive for and aim for. So, yeah, people that aren't church people, it's one of the things they laugh at us about. But for us, just for us, what would it look like if we did? I think it'd be a profound difference. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, so much easier to talk about than to do. And Lord, I, 
I'm so thankful that you have brought me on this journey from where I was, not understanding what you mean by love, not understanding what you mean by acceptance, not understanding those things. But Lord, you've brought me on this journey and I'm so grateful. Lord, I have met some of the most amazing individuals that I would have never, ever thought of having a conversation with before. Father, they're their faith so far beyond mine. And you know they're rough around the edges. God, it's been a privilege to get to know them, to see their faith in you, to see their desire to lead their friends to Christ. So, Lord, I just pray. I pray for the unity of this church. And I pray that uh, you would protect it. And I pray for the leaders that they would protect it as well. Lord, help us to navigate truth and grace as you did, Jesus. For it's in your name I pray. Amen.